Chapter thirty five of Young People's Treasury, Volume six Famous Travels and Adventures by Hamilton Wright Maybe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. Sacred Haunts of Palestine by A. W. Kinglake. We crossed the Golden Horn in a cake. As soon as we had landed, some woebegone looking fellows were got together and laden with our baggage. Then on we went, dripping and sloshing and looking very like men that had been turned back by the Royal Humane Society for being incurably drowned. Supporting our sick, we climbed up shelving steps and threaded many windings, and at last came up into the main street of Pira, humbly hoping that we might not be judged guilty of the plague, and so be cast back with horror from the doors of the shuddering Christians. Such was the condition of the little troop which fifteen days before had filed away so gaily from the gates of belgrade two attacks of fever and a northeasterly storm had thoroughly spoiled our looks the interest of Messiri with the house of Giuseppini was too powerful to be denied and at once though not without fear and trembling we were admitted as guests even if we don't take a part in the chant about mosques and minarets we can still yield praises to stambul we can chant about the harbor we can say and sing that nowhere else does the sea come so home to a city there are no pebbly shores no sandbars no slimy river beds no black canals no locks nor docks to divide the very heart of the place from the deep waters if being in the noisiest mart of stambul you would stroll to the quiet side of the way amidst those cypresses opposite you will cross the fathomless bosporus if you would go from your hotel to the bazaars you must pass by the bright blue pathway of the golden horn that can carry a thousand sail of the line you are accustomed to the gondolas that glide among the palaces of st mark but here at stambul it is a hundred and twenty gunship that meets you in the street venice strains out from the steadfast land and in old times would send forth the chief of the state to woo and wed the reluctant sea but the stormy bride of the doge is the bowing slave of the sultan she comes to his feet with the treasures of the world she bears him from palace to palace by some unfailing witchcraft she entices the breezes to follow her and fan the pale cheek of her lord she lifts his armed navies to the very gates of his garden she watches the wall of his serail she stifles the intrigues of his ministers she quiets the scandals of his court she extinguishes his rivals and hushes his wives all one by one so vast are the wonders of the deep i caught one glimpse of the old heathen world my habits of studying military subjects had been hardening my heart against poetry forever staring at the flames of battle i had blinded myself to the lesser and finer lights that are shed from the imaginations of men in my reading at this time i delighted to follow from out of arabian sands the feet of the armed believers and to stand in the broad manifest storm tract of tartar devastation and thus though surrounded at constantinople by scenes of much interest to the classical scholar i had cast aside their associations like an old greek grammar and turned my face to the shining orient forgetful of old greece and all the pure wealth she left to this matter-of-fact ridden world but it happened to me one day to mount the high grounds overhanging the streets of pira i sated my eye with the pomps 
of the city and its crowded waters and then i looked over where scutari lay half veiled in her mournful cypresses i looked yet farther and higher and saw in the heavens a silvery cloud that stood fast and still against the breeze it was pure and dazzling white as might be the veil of cytheria yet touched with such fire as though from beneath the loving eyes of an immortal were shining through and through i knew the bearing but had enormously misjudged its distance and underrated its height and so it was as a sign and a testimony almost as a call from the neglected gods that now i saw and acknowledged the snowy crown of the mysian olympus i crossed the plain of esdralon and entered among the hills of beautiful galilee it was at sunset that my path brought me to sharply around into the gorge of a little valley and close upon a gray mass of dwellings that lay happily nestled in the lap of the mountain there was only one shining point still touched with the light of the sun who had set for all besides a brave sign this to holy sharif and the rest of my moslem men for the one glittering summit was the head of a minaret and the rest of the seeming village that had veiled itself so meekly under the shades of evening was christian nazareth within the precincts of the latin convent there stands the great catholic church which encloses the sanctuary the dwelling of the blessed virgin this is a grotto of about ten feet either way forming a little chapel or recess and reached by descending steps it is decorated with splendor on the left hand a column of granite hangs from the top of the grotto to within a few feet of the ground immediately beneath another column of the same size rises from the ground as if to meet the one above but between this and the suspended pillar there is an interval of more than a foot these fragments once form the single column on which the angel leant when he spoke and told to mary the mystery of her awful blessedness hard by near the altar the holy virgin was kneeling i had been journeying cheerily indeed for the voices of my followers were ever within my hearing but yet as it were in solitude for i had no comrade to wet the edge of my reason or wake me from my noonday dreams i was left all alone to be taught and swayed by the beautiful circumstances of palestine travelling by the clime and the land and the name of the land with all its mighty import by the glittering freshness of the sward and the abounding masses of flowers that furnished my sumptuous pathway by the bracing and fragrant air that seemed to poise me in my saddle and to lift me along as a planet appointed to glide through space and the end of my journey was nazareth the home of the blessed virgin in the first dawn of my manhood the old painters of italy had taught me their worship of the beauty that is more than mortal but those images all seemed shadowy now and floated before me so dimly the one overcasting the other that they left me no one sweet idol on which i could look and look again and say maria mia yet they left me more than an idol they left me for to them i am wont to trace it a faint apprehension of beauty not compassed with lines and shadows they touched me forgive proud marie of anjou they touched me with a faith in loveliness transcending mortal shapes i came to nazareth and was led from the convent to the sanctuary so as i went i trod tenderly not looking to the right nor to the left but bending my eyes to the ground the attending friar served me well 
he led me down quietly and all but silently to the virgin's home the mystic air was so burnt with the consuming flames of the altar and so laden with incense that my chest labored strongly and heaved with luscious pain there there with beating heart the virgin knelt and listened i strove to grasp and hold with my riveted eyes some one of the feigned madonnas but of all the heaven-lit faces imagined by men there was none that would abide with me in this the very sanctuary impatient of vacancy i grew madly strong against nature and if by some awful spell some impious rite i could o oh, most sweet religion that bid me fear god and be pious and yet not cease from loving religion and gracious custom commanded me that i fall down loyally and kiss the rock that blessed mary pressed with a half-consciousness with the semblance of a thrilling hope that i was plunging deep deep into my first knowledge of some most holy mystery or of some new rapturous and daring sin i knelt and bowed down my face till i met the smooth rock with my lips neither old sacred himself nor any of his helpers knew the road which i meant to take from nazareth to the sea of galilee and from thence to jerusalem so i was forced to add another to my party by hiring a guide i passed by cana and the house of the marriage feast prolonged by miraculous wine i came to the field in which our saviour had rebuked the scotch sabbath keepers of that period by suffering his disciples to pluck corn on the lord's day i rode over the ground where the fainting multitude had been fed and they showed me some massive fragments the relics they said of that wondrous banquet now turned into stone the petrifaction was most complete i ascended the height where our lord was standing when he wrought the miracle the hill rose lofty enough to show me the fairness of the land on all sides but i have an ancient love for the mere features of a lake and so forgetting all else when i reached the summit i looked away eagerly to the eastward there she lay the sea of galilee less stern than wast water less fair than gentle windermere she had still the winning ways of an english lake she caught from the smiling heavens unceasing light and changeful phases of beauty and with all this brightness on her face she yet clung fondly to the dull he looking mountain at her side as if she would soothe him with her finer fancies touch him with her lighter thought if one might judge of men's real thoughts by their writings it would seem that there are people who can visit an interesting locality and follow up continuously the exact train of thought that ought to be suggested by the historical associations of the place a person of this sort can go to athens and think of nothing later than the age of pericles can live with the scipios as long as he stays in rome i am not thus docile it is only by snatches and for few moments together that i can really associate a place with its proper history there at tiberius and along this western shore toward the north and upon the bosom too of the lake our saviour and his disciples away flew those recollections and my mind strained eastward because that that farthest shore was the end of the world that belongs to man the dweller the beginning of the other and veiled world that is held by the strange race whose life like the pastime of satan is a going to and fro upon the face of the earth from those gray hills right away to the gates of baghdad stretch forth the mysterious desert not a pale void sandy tract but a land abounding in rich pastures a land without cities or towns without any respectable people 
or any respectable things yet yielding its eighty thousand cavalry to the beck of a few old men but once more tiberius the plain of Genesareth, the very earth on which i stood that the deep low tones of the saviour's voice should have gone forth into eternity from out of the midst of these hills and these valleys ay ay but yet again the calm face of the lake was uplifted and smiled upon my eyes with such familiar gaze that the deep low tones were hushed the listening multitudes all passed away and instead there came to me a loving thought from over the seas in england a thought more sweet than gospel to a wilful mortal like this except at jerusalem never think of attempting to sleep in a holy city old jews from all parts of the world go to lay their bones upon the sacred soil and since these people never return to their homes it follows that any domestic vermin they may bring with them are likely to become permanently resident so that the population is continually increasing no recent census had been taken when i was at tiberius but i know that the congregation of fleas which attended at my church alone must have been something enormous it was a carnal self-seeking congregation wholly inattentive to the service which was going on and devoted to the one object of having my blood the fleas of all nations were there the smug steady importunate flea from holywell street the pert jumping puce from hungry france the wary watchful pulce with his poisoned stiletto the vengeful pulga of castile with his ugly knife the german flow with his knife and fork insatiate not rising from table whole swarms from all the russians and asiatic hordes unnumbered all these were there and all rejoiced in one great international feast i could no more defend myself against my enemies than if i had been pen a discretion in the hands of a french communist after passing a night like this you are glad to gather up the remains of your body long long before morning dawns your skin is scorched your temples throb your lips feel withered and dried your burning eyeballs are screwed inward against the brain you have no hope but only in the saddle and the freshness of the morning air i calculated that on the preceding day we had nearly performed a two days journey i concluded that the dead sea must be near in this i was right for at about three or four o'clock in the afternoon i caught a first sight of its dismal face i went on and came near to those waters of death they stretched deeply into the southern desert and before me and all around as far away as the eye could follow blank hills piled high over hills pale yellow and naked walled up in her tomb for ever the dead and damned gomorrah there was no fly that hummed in the forbidden air but instead a deep stillness no grass grew from the earth no weed peered through the void sand but in mockery of all life there were trees borne down by jordan in some ancient flood and these grotesquely planted upon the forlorn shore spread out their grim skeleton arms all scorched and charred to blackness by the heats of the long silent years i bathed in the dead sea the ground covered by the water sloped so gradually that i was not only forced to sneak in but to walk through the water nearly a quarter of a mile before i could get out of my depth when at last i was able to attempt to dive the salts held in solution made my eyes smart so sharply that the pain i thus suffered joined with the weakness occasioned by want of food made me giddy and faint for some moments but i soon grew better 
i knew beforehand the impossibility of sinking in this buoyant water but i was surprised to find that i could not swim at my accustomed pace my legs and feet were lifted so high and dry out of the lake that my stroke was baffled and i found myself kicking against the thin air instead of the dense fluid upon which i was swimming the water is perfectly bright and clear its taste detestable after finishing my attempts at swimming and diving i took some time in regaining the shore and before i began to dress i found that the sun had already evaporated the water which clung to me and that my skin was thickly encrusted with salts the enthusiasm that had glowed or seemed to glow within me for one blessed moment when i knelt by the shrine of the virgin at nazareth was not rekindled at jerusalem in the stead of the solemn gloom and the deep stillness rightfully belonging to the holy city there was the hum and the bustle of active life it was the height of the season the easter ceremonies drew near the pilgrims were flocking in from all quarters and although their objects were partly at least of a religious character yet their arrivals brought as much stir and liveliness to the city as if they had come up to marry their daughters the votaries who every year crowd to the holy sepulchre are chiefly of the greek and armenian churches they are not drawn into palestine by a mere sentimental longing to stand upon the ground trodden by our saviour but rather they perform the pilgrimage as a plain duty strongly inculcated by their religion a very great proportion of those who belong to the greek church contrive at some time or other in the course of their lives to achieve the enterprise many in their infancy and childhood are brought to the holy sites by their parents but those who have not had this advantage will often make it the main object of their lives to save money enough for this holy undertaking the pilgrims begin to arrive in palestine some weeks before the easter festival of the greek church they come from egypt from all parts of syria from armenia and asia minor from stambul from mumelia from the provinces of the danube and from all the rushes most of these people bring with them some articles of merchandise but i myself believe notwithstanding the common taunt against pilgrims that they do this rather as a mode of paying the expenses of their journey than from a spirit of mercenary speculation they usually travel in families for the women are of course more ardent than their husbands in undertaking these pious enterprises and they take care to bring with them all their children however young they do this because the efficacy of the rites is quite independent of the age of the votary and people whose careful mothers have obtained for them the benefit of the pilgrimage in early life are saved from the expense and trouble of undertaking the journey at a later age the superior veneration so often excited by objects that are distant and unknown shows not perhaps the wrong-headedness of a man but rather the transcendent power of his imagination however this may be and whether it is by mere obstinacy that they force their way through intervening distance or whether they come by the winged strength of fancy quite certainly the pilgrims who flock to palestine from remote homes are the people most eager in the enterprise and in number too they bear a very high proportion to the whole mass the great bulk of the pilgrims makes its way by sea to the port of jaffa a number of families will charter a vessel among them all bringing their own provisions these are of the simplest and cheapest kind on board every vessel thus freighted there is i believe a priest who helps the people in their religious exercises 
and tries and fails to maintain something like order and harmony the vessels employed in the service are usually greek brigs or brigantines and schooners and the number of passengers stowed in them is almost always horribly excessive the voyages are sadly protracted not only by the land-seeking storm-flying habits of the greek seamen but also by the endless schemes and speculations forever tempting them to touch at the nearest port the voyage too must be made during winter in order that jerusalem may be reached some weeks before the greek easter when the pilgrims have landed at jaffa they hire camels horses mules or donkeys and make their way as well as they can to the holy city the space fronting the church of the holy sepulchre soon becomes a kind of bazaar or rather perhaps remind you of an english fair on this spot the pilgrims display their merchandise and there too the trading residents of the place offer their goods for sale i have never i think seen elsewhere in asia so much commercial animation as upon this square of ground by the church door the money changers seem to be almost as brisk and lively as if they had been within the temple when i entered the church i found a babel of worshippers greek roman and armenian priests were performing their different rites in various nooks and corners and crowds of disciples were rushing about in all directions some laughing and talking some begging but most of them going around in a regular and methodical way to kiss the sanctified spots and speak the appointed syllables and lay down the accustomed coin if this kissing of the shrines had seemed as though it were done at the bidding of enthusiasm or of any poor sentiment even feebly approaching to it the sight would have been less odd to english eyes but as it was i felt shocked at the sight of grown men thus steadily and carefully embracing the sticks and the stones not from love or from zeal else god forbid that i should have blamed but from a calm sense of duty they seemed to be not working out but transacting the great business of salvation a protestant familiar with the holy scriptures but ignorant of tradition and the geography of modern jerusalem finds himself a good deal mazed when he first looks for the sacred sites the holy sepulchre is not in a field without the walls but in the midst and in the best part of the town under the roof of the great church which i have been talking about it is a handsome tomb of oblong form partly subterranean and partly above ground and closed in on all sides except the one by which it is entered you descend into the interior by a few steps and there find an altar with burning tapers this is the spot held in greater sanctity than any other in jerusalem when you have seen enough of it you feel perhaps weary of the busy crowd and inclined for a gallop you ask your dragoman whether there will be time before sunset to send for horses and take a ride to mount calvary mount calvary signor ecolo it is upstairs on the first floor in effect you ascend if i remember rightly just thirteen steps and then you are shown the now golden sockets in which the crosses of our lord and the two thieves were fixed all this is startling but the truth is that the city having gathered around the sepulchre the main point of interest has gradually crept northward and thus in great measure are occasioned the many geographical surprises that puzzle the bible christian the church of the holy sepulchre comprises very compendiously almost all the spots associated with the closing career of our lord just there on our right he stood and wept 
by the pillar on your left he was scourged on the spot just before you he was crowned with the crown of thorns up there he was crucified and down here he was buried a locality is assigned to even the minutest event connected with the recorded history of our savior even the spot where the cock crew when peter denied his master is ascertained and surrounded by the walls of an armenian convent i went to see and to explore the pyramids familiar to one from the days of early childhood are the forms of the egyptian pyramids and now as i approached them from the banks of the nile i had no print no picture before me and yet the old shapes were there there was no change they were just as i had always known them i straightened myself in my stirrups and strove to persuade my understanding that this was real egypt and that those angles which stood up between me and the west were of harder stuff and more ancient than the paper pyramids of the green portfolio yet it was not till i came to the base of the great pyramid that reality began to weigh upon my mind strange to say the bigness of the distinct blocks of stones was the first sign by which i attained to feel the immensity of the whole pile when i came and trod and touched with my hands and climbed in order that by climbing i might come to the top of one single stone then and almost suddenly a cold sense and understanding of the pyramid's enormity came down overcasting my brain now try to endure this homely sick nurseish illustration of the effect produced upon one's mind by the mere vastness of the great pyramid when i was very young between the ages i believe of three and five years as i was then of delicate health i was often in time of night the victim of a strange kind of mental oppression i lay in my bed perfectly conscious and with open eyes but without power to speak or to move and all the while my brain was oppressed to distraction by the presence of a single and abstract idea the idea of solid immensity it seemed to me in my agonies that the horror of this visitation arose from its coming upon me without form or shape that the close presence of the direst monster ever bred in hell would have been a thousand times more tolerable than that simple idea of solid size my aching mind was fixed and riveted down upon the mere quality of vastness 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 and was not permitted to invest with it any particular object if i could have done so the torment would have ceased when at last i was roused from this state of suffering i could not of course in those days knowing no verbal metaphysics and no metaphysics at all except by the dreadful experience of an abstract idea i could not of course find words to describe the nature of my sensations and even now i cannot explain why it is that the forced contemplation of a mere quality distinct from matter should be so terrible well now my eyes saw and knew and my hands and my feet informed my understanding that there was nothing at all abstract about the great pyramid it was a big triangle sufficiently concrete easy to see and rough to the touch it could not of course affect me with the peculiar sensation i have been talking of but yet there was something akin to that old nightmare agony in the terrible completeness with which a mere mass of masonry could fill and load my mind and time too the remoteness of its origin no less than the enormity of its proportions screens an egyptian pyramid from the easy and familiar contact of our modern minds at its base the common earth ends and all above is a world 
one not created of god not seeming to be made by men's hands but rather the sheer giant work of some old dismal age weighing down this younger planet fine sayings but the truth seems to be after all that the pyramids are quite of this world that they were piled up into the air for the realization of some kingly crotchets about immortality some priestly longing for burial fees and that as for the building they were built like coral rocks by swarms of insects by swarms of poor egyptians who were not only the abject tools and slaves of power but who also ate onions for the reward of their immortal labors the pyramids are quite of this world i of course ascended to the summit of the great pyramid and also explored its chambers but these i need not describe the first time that i went to the pyramids of giza there was a number of arabs hanging about in its neighborhood and wanting to receive presents on various pretenses their sheik was with them there was also present an ill-looking fellow in soldier's uniform this man on my departure claimed a reward on the ground that he had maintained order and decorum amongst the arabs his claim was not considered valid by my dragoman and was rejected accordingly my donkey boys afterwards said they had overheard this fellow propose to the sheik to put me to death whilst i was in the interior of the great pyramid and to share with him the booty fancy a struggle for life in one of those burial chambers with acres and acres of solid masonry between oneself and the daylight i felt exceedingly glad that i had not made the rascal a present i visited the very ancient pyramids of abu Kur and saqqara there are many of these differing the one from the other in shape as well as size and it struck me that taken together they might be looked upon as showing the progress and perfection such as it is of pyramidical architecture one of the pyramids at saqqara is almost a rival for the full-grown monster at giza others are scarcely more than vast heaps of brick and stone and these last suggested to me the idea that after all the pyramid is nothing more nor less than a variety of the sepulchral mound so common in most countries including i believe hindustan from whence the egyptians are supposed to have come men accustomed to raise these structures for their dead kings or conquerors would carry the usage with them in their migrations but arriving in egypt and seeing the impossibility of finding earth sufficiently tenacious for a mound they would approximate as nearly as might be to their ancient custom by raising up a round heap of stones in short conical pyramids of these there are several at saqqara and the materials of some are thrown together without any order or regularity the transition from this simple form to that of the square angular pyramid was easy and natural and it seemed to me that the gradations through which the style passed from infancy up to its mature enormity could plainly be traced at saqqara and near the pyramids more wondrous and more awful than all else in the land of egypt there sits the lonely sphinx comely the creature is but the comeliness is not of this world the once worshipped beast is a deformity and a monster to this generation and yet you can see that those lips so thick and heavy were fashioned according to some ancient mould of beauty some mould of beauty now forgotten forgotten because that greece drew forth cytheria from the flashing foam of the aegean and in her image created new forms of beauty and made it a law among men that the short and proudly wreathed lip should stand for the sign 
and the main condition of loveliness through all generations to come yet still there lives on the race of those who were beautiful in the fashion of the elder world and christian girls of coptic blood will look on you with the sad serious gaze and kiss your charitable hand with the big pouting lips of the very sphinx laugh and mock if you will at the worship of stone idols but mark ye this ye breakers of images that in one regard the stone idol bears awful semblance of deity unchangefulness in the midst of change the same seeming will and intent for ever and ever inexorable upon ancient dynasties of ethiopian and egyptian kings upon greek and roman upon arab and ottoman conquerors upon napoleon dreaming of an eastern empire upon battle and pestilence upon the ceaseless misery of the egyptian race upon keen-eyed travellers herodotus yesterday and warburton to-day upon all and more this unworldly sphinx has watched and watched like a providence with the same earnest eyes and the same sad tranquil mien and we we shall die and islam will wither away and the englishman striving far over to hold his loved india will plant a firm foot on the banks of the nile and sit in the seats of the faithful and still that sleepless rock will lie watching and watching the works of the new busy race with those same sad earnest eyes and the same tranquil mien everlasting you dare not mock the sphinx End of chapter thirty five